let's dive in today. We are in part two of our series, Believe Again. And we're talking about living a life of faith. Why is that important? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that we live as followers of Christ by faith and not by sight. And we see the scriptures full of stories of people who lived by faith, right? Daniel prayed in faith and God shut the mouths of lions. We see Peter, he stepped out of the boat in faith and he walked on water. Last week I taught how Joshua and the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho in faith and God brought the walls down. Can I encourage you in this in general in your relationship with God? Our responsibility is to be obedient or to follow God. His responsibility is the outcome. So we say yes to him, and then the outcome is on him. He's the one who does the miracle. He's the one who brought the walls down. He's the one that enabled Peter to walk on water. He's the one that shut the mouths of the lions. But it was the people of God who walked by, who lived by, who obeyed in faith. So as your pastor, what I want for you is to live a life of faith where you read the scriptures, you, you hear from God, and you do what God says. So, so you, like all of those we read about in the scriptures, you can live a life of faith. Now today I want to talk about an aspect of faith. In fact, I've entitled today's message, To Give by Faith. Now some of you may be hearing that, that, that first word, give. You got a little nervous, come on. Negative church experiences when it comes to giving and money. Uh, maybe you've, you've, you've received unhealthy or even unbiblical teaching. Maybe you felt pressured or manipulated to give. May I remind you, if you ever felt that, that is not of God. You're never going to feel that here. However, as a pastor, I want you to hear this. It's important. My responsibility before you is not to teach uh, just kind of whatever I think. It's to teach the word of God. And there are 2,000, over 2,300 scriptures in the Bible about money and possessions. That's four times more than there are about prayer and faith. So if I, as your pastor, you would expect me to teach on prayer. Then as, a, as your pastor, you should expect me to teach on money because God talks a lot about our money. In fact, a third, one-third, Jesus taught 39 parables. 13 of his parables, one-third, have to deal with money and possessions. So he taught about it. And we see God do miracles in, res in, in response to people's obedience when it comes to resource. Right? Old Testament, God provided manna from heaven to the people of God in the wilderness. In the New Testament, we'll read today about how God took a few loaves and a few fish and he fed over 15,000 people with food left over. And we're going to talk today about the power of biblical generosity. Because as your pastor, I want you to walk in the supernatural blessing of God. And we're going to talk about blessings that are far, um, far richer than money or possessions. And when we're, when we're obedient to God, when we're faithful to what God's put in our heart, we're faithful to what he said in his word, there's a blessing that comes with us. That's the words of Jesus. So we're going to talk today from John chapter 6. Well, first, let's pray before we dive in. Father, we thank you this morning. Your word's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Holy Spirit, we open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 
If you're a Bible nerd like myself, you'll like this, John chapter 6. This miracle of the loaves and fishes is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. This tells me uh, one thing for sure. Jesus loves bread. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Just a little side note. Notice he said bread and fish. There were no vegetables in that, okay? I'm just trying to be biblical, okay? Jesus never multiplied spinach, okay? Fish and bread and all God's people said amen. So I will not eat vegetables this afternoon in my lunch because that is unbiblical to eat vegetables. <laughs> we like to have fun. All right, John 6, verse 5. We're going to start reading. It says, Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him. And he said to Philip, who's one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. You can kind of underline that there, that Jesus was testing him in this moment. That's important. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread to each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far would they go among so many? Uh, Two side notes. Number one, uh, barley loaves. This tells us something about this boy, that he was living in poverty. He didn't have much because uh, really those who are only living in financial poverty ate barley. Uh, Those who were of middle or upper class would have ate higher levels of grain. Um, Secondly, we see here, Jesus' own disciples offer him excuses, but yet this little boy goes ahead and offers him a lunch. (laughs) So they say, hey, we have a few, five loaves and two fish and Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. There were about 5,000 men there. Conservatively speaking, 15,000 people with women and children. And Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all have all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Uh, I want to share with you from this passage just three truths that I think we need to embrace in order for us to experience like this boy, like the disciples, like these 15,000 people experience God's miraculous blessings in our life. Here's point number one you got to take hold of is that we have to first trust God as our source. We have to trust God as our source. The Bible says he was testing Philip. What was he testing him in? He was testing Philip if Philip actually trusted him for provision. If he actually trusted God to provide, or was he trusting him in himself? He was Jesus, right? He was the son of God. He already knew how much they had, so he was testing them. Like, do you trust me, or do you trust in yourself as your source? Hey, listen, if we end up trusting in ourselves, or our employers, or the American economy for our source, it will lead to financial stress. Last month, Forbes magazine published a study, 74% of Americans, three out of four, are currently living with financial stress and anxiety. That's the cultural system we live in. So if we view ourselves or the economy as our source, you will live stressed. But how many know Jesus didn't come so you would live with financial stress? 
So, so in this moment that he, he's challenged, where, who am I going to view as my, my source? David said this in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We have to embrace this truth that David writes about. Ready? Write this down. Everything we have is from God. Every breath I take is from God. Every step I take is possible from God. Every thought I have to solve the problems at work for which I am paid for is only possible because God. Therefore, every dollar I earn is from God. Every blessing I have is from God. Can I give you theology real quick? Your money is not your money. It's God's money. that He's entrusted to you. For a season of time. He's given me the ability to make money. That's why in Deuteronomy 8, God speaks to the Israelites. Because they started to believe they were their own source. And he said, remember who, who the one is who gives you the opportunity and the ability to earn well. Saying it was him. That he was the one who created them. And he is our source. And that should give us great peace. Philippians 4.19, Paul says this. The same God who takes care of me, Paul says to the church at Philippi, will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches. God will meet all of your needs. You know, I was um, doing some study for this message and I was reminded Dr. Eric Erickson is a psychologist who years ago, if you took kind of psychology 101 in college, you maybe have learned this, or child development courses, seven stages of, of child development. And stage one was important, zero to 18 months. If you have a baby, take notes. It's what he calls the trust versus mistrust stage. Here's what happens from zero to 18 months. Babies are learning whether or not they can trust people in the world. And here's how they learn it. They cry, does mom and dad come? Do my caregivers come? My stomach hurts, I'm hungry, I cry, am I fed? And if they learn at a young age to trust, it gives them a firm foundation for their future. But watch this. They found if babies learn mistrust, they will live even as adults with a degree of suspicion and anxiety into adulthood. Because they never learned they could trust a provider. That's true for babies and children. How much true for the children of God and our Father in heaven? Listen to me. We have to learn we can trust God to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. Can I pastor you for a moment? Sometimes in this Western culture, we might think that our needs are not being met. But watch this. Look up for a second. If we were really honest... It's our wants that are not being fulfilled, not our needs not being met. You want a new house, but you don't need a new house. I, I know your car has 212,000 miles. Come on, somebody. And it's on its fourth alternator. Come on. But let's go, Honda Civic, all right? That girl still has got juice. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. I, I love you. But listen. We do have to be honest because we are conditioned in our Western culture to believe our desires are our needs. And we don't need a vacation. We don't need a new car. We don't need a bigger house. Are you hearing me? 
So watch this. Step back and ask God for his eyes, and you'll see God is supplying all of my needs according to his riches in Christ. Because he said he'll promise to meet our needs. He didn't say he'll give us all we want. He'll meet our needs. But it's important that we understand we can trust God to meet our needs so we can have a sense of peace. And the scripture, time and time out again, Old and New Testament, speaks about God supplying our needs. Look at this, James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Psalm 34.10 says those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said when you seek first the kingdom of God, he will meet all of your needs. He'll take care of our needs. Luke chapter 12 verse 24, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And I want to read this chapter, this verse real quick. He says this, consider the Ravens. Little side note, this tells us God's a Baltimore Ravens fan, okay? <laughs> so you Steelers fans are in rebellion. You can pray and repent and come forward. I'm just kidding. You clearly know my favorite team. I had to throw it in there. It was too easy. <laughs> they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. What was happening were the disciples were a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous about their provision. In fact, in that passage, he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. I take care of the birds of the air and see, they don't even have a storehouse. They don't have a bank account to store money, but yet they don't, they're not worried about it. I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of them. In 2023 version, Jesus would say, do not worry about the state of the economy. Do not worry about the future of your industry. Do not worry, college student, about whether or not you'll have enough, enough kind of the right degree or network to get the job. I take care of the birds of the air, so I'll take care of you, he says. I want you to watch this. He was trying to shift his disciples' mindset because they would have what is, is spiritually and psychologically defined as a scarcity mindset. Here's a scarcity mindset. This is more of a, a scriptural definition. A scarcity mindset is the belief that resources are limited and I will not have enough. And we live in a culture that conditions us for a scarcity mindset. 74% of Americans are living financially stressed. 60, over 60% 60 of Americans say they live paycheck to paycheck. And the scarcity mindset will make us believe there is not enough. And here's what the scarcity mindset will do to us. It will leave us stressed. We will be anxious that we won't have enough. We're going to end up feeling strapped, which will ultimately cause us to be stingy. <laughs> Meaning we'll, with, we'll, we'll kind of have a tight grip on our finances. And why is that important, Pastor? Why do you care about being stingy or not giving? Why? Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So watch this. The enemy wants you to stay in a scarcity mindset. There's not enough. I got to take hold of what I have and live in fear and live stingy so that you don't actually live blessed. Because more blessed to give to receive. Are you following me? He was trying to shift them from being scarcity mindset to an abundant mindset. What's an abundant mindset? It's the belief that there's more than enough resources and that God will supply all of my needs. 
according to his glory in Christ Jesus. He was trying to move them to have a proper mindset, to have a proper understanding of how he will take care of us. Psalm 23, 1, David had an abundant mindset. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You know, sheep, the average sheep would not live if they did not have a shepherd because the shepherd leads them into green pastures that provides for them. I did some study of sheep and shepherds this week. You know what I found? That while sheep are enjoying the, the food of the day, the shepherd is already making plans for, for their provision tomorrow. They're already saying, okay, we're here today. It's where they're feeding. I'm going to go over to this field tomorrow, and they'll feed over there. Hey, I want you to hear this. The Bible calls God our good shepherd, and nothing in the scripture is by accident. So while you are going to go about your day tomorrow, getting the kids up and ready for school, going into work, making dinner, doing the dishes, paying the bills, God is already preparing your provision tomorrow and the next week and the next month. He is our good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. We got to grab hold of that church. He is our source. I am not my source. My employer is not my source. The economy is not my source. God is my provider. Here's point number two. Sam, what do we do? That's what he does. What do we do? We then steward or manage what he has given us. We steward it. He's entrusted us, right? We all have varying degrees that God's entrusted us with. You know, it was, it was powerful that Jesus said in, in John 6, so they get done, right? They've all eaten their fish, called a little filet fish They already had all that. And then he says this. He says, make sure you pick up all the pieces. Like, don't waste anything. Now, if anybody has liberty to be wasteful, it's the Son of God. Like, your boy just took a few loaves and fish, pa-poom, 15,000 full stomachs. Like, why would Jesus care. He was teaching his disciples, he's teaching us something that's important to him. Hey, listen, regardless of how much resource I've entrusted to you, do not be wasteful with it. Do not be frivolous with it. And, and, and you know, they've, they, that's, that's a danger for all of us, right? The more you've been blessed, I mean, they're like, oh, things are more comfortable now. I don't have to be as tight as I once was. He's saying waste nothing. Be, regardless of how much resource you have, is be a good steward of what I have entrusted with you. I grew up in a household. Maybe some of you grew up in this kind of household. When we would eat dinner, we would be told to clean our plate. Anybody else? Your mom or your dad, hey, finish your plate. Now as a parent, I do that with my kids. Come on. Any parents in the room, are you amazed by this? Maybe it's just the Burroughs household. But I'm amazed how... We'll just have dinner, you know, chicken, rice, and veggies. And then the kids are like, I'm full, Dad. Okay, you're full. You know where I'm going, right? <laughs> Ten minutes later, they're in the pantry getting a snack. I'm like, what are you doing getting a snack? I'm hungry. You weren't you are hungry ten minutes ago? <sighs> so I have, I, have a, I have an instructional conversation of, we don't waste food in this house. Like you're clearly, we're still hungry. 
because we don't, we're not wasteful. Hey, listen, Jesus is saying, don't be wasteful with your resource. Manage what you have well. Manage what you have well. In, in uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 11, Jesus said this to his disciples. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? If you are faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? you got to love Jesus. He's like, if you're not faithful with the money I give you, why would I give you real riches? <laughs> Why would I give you the true riches of heaven if you can't even be faithful with the dollars I have given you here on earth? What's the true riches? The true riches are the things that money can't give you. Peace, contentment, joy, the things that, that culturally speaking the world is grasping for. And he's saying if, if, you, can, if you can manage worldly wealth, dollars and cents, well, then I can entrust you. Peace, joy, and contentment. I recently traveled, and when I travel, like many of you probably, I land into a city and I get a rental car. And uh, when you rent a car, they give you a contract. Now, most of the time, it's electronic. And that contract says a few things. Like, they have their basic, basic standards for you and expectations while you have the car. So it'll say things such as, Bring the car back in the condition you received it. That's a good standard, right? Or fill the tank back to the level that you received it in. Why do they give you those expectations? Because I'm a renter. Like, it's not my car, right? So they're saying, you're renting our car, which we own, and these are our expectations on how you'll manage our car. And then I use kind of the same company most of the time, so... I've been sort of faithful to this company now for a number of years. And when you're faithful, right, and you manage their rentals well, now almost every other time I get a vehicle now, they upgrade me. They'll kind of free upgrade. Hey, you're a faithful kind of gold member. Boom, here you go. You got a Honda Civic? Here's a Suburban. And then I'm like, can I get some money for gas? Come on, somebody. <laughs> I went from like 35 miles a gallon to like 7 miles a gallon. How uh, hey, listen, here's what Jesus says. If you can be faithful in managing your money well, I can entrust you with the true riches of life. The things that, that you really want in life. So what does the Bible say about how we manage our money? Because the Bible does actually have some wisdom on how to manage your money. Can I give you just a few thoughts from the scriptures? Number one is to have a budget or have a plan for your money. It's real practical. The Bible's practical. Jesus, Luke 14, 28, don't begin until you count the cost. Who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? A proverb says this, the plans of the diligent surely lead to profit. Planning. I forget who said it this way, but I heard it said once, tell your money where to go or your money will end up telling you where to go. You ever been there? I have. Where you didn't budget for the month, and then you got to the end of the month, and you had more month than you had money. And you're like, well, you see, what happened was I went out to eat too much. So I, 
at the get-go, in the month, I'm going to tell my money where it goes. There's a place. Every dollar has, a, has an assignment. So I don't get to the end of the month and say, what happened? <laughs> so it's biblical. Have a, have a budget. Have a plan for your finances. There's a, a um, and we, we do this for the church, just so you know. If you come to Next Steps, you've heard us talk about this. We have a budget. We're in budget season. We budget for the church. And we believe you should have a budget for your life. If you have, if this is new for you, which statistically speaking, most Americans do not live by a budget, then we have a, a group called Financial Peace University. We offer it every fall, every spring. I you take that class. Take that class. Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. You can go on his website, buy his books. It's just basics of how you budget, how you pay off debt, how you invest, save, all of that. It's great, practical, biblical, helpful. Here's number two. As much as it's possible, avoid consumer debt. Now, I know some debt is very hard to avoid, especially in this area. It's hard to buy a house without a mortgage. Come on. It's hard to go to school without student loans for a lot of people. But as much as possible, avoid debt. Live within your means. Paul said in Romans 13.8, owe nothing to anyone except love. There's a proverb that says this, the borrower is, is servant to the lender. And if you've had a debt before, I have, you felt that, haven't you? You're like, oh, well, I want to go on this trip, but I can't because I got this debt. I want to change jobs, but I can't go time without a salary because I got to pay down this debt. Oh, I want to get this house or I want to have a child, but we got this debt that I feel like is holding us back. So, in fact, that class, Financial Peace, teaches you how to pay down debt. And I've been there. When I first came to Christ and I came across some of the principles of Financial Peace, I had $60,000 in debt. Student loan, car loan, some credit cards. And I'm telling you, if you've been there, you know the difference between living with this debt where you have certain payments you have to make every month and living in financial freedom. Financial freedom is a whole lot more peaceful. Here's number three. Here's number three. So have a budget. Avoid consumer debt. Then lastly is save and invest. Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So have an emergency savings. And then have invest for your future. Live on less than what you need so you can make investments and have a sense of, of, of cushion. So you're not living with financial pressure in your life. But for a lot of us, that means lowering our standard of living. Taking an honest assessment of what we want versus what we need. And, but I would encourage you, as you take hold of biblical principles in your finances, it will enable you to experience the true blessing that God wants for you to experience. Because God doesn't teach us this just so that you would be free of debt and save money. Uh, the Bible doesn't say, blessed are those who save. <laughs> blessed are those who give. But sometimes the reason we, we feel like we can't give because we're strapped. But God wants you to walk in blessing and generosity. So you're living with this sense of freedom. You're able to live your life so that, here's point number three, you can give generously to God. Now, we should be generous in all areas of our life. That is biblical. 
But I'm going to speak on our generosity to God because in this passage, it was the little boy giving the two fish and the five loaves to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says this, you must, must each decide in your heart, this is important, how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. One translation says, don't give under compulsion. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Do you know a person who gives cheerfully? Is a person who has an accurate vision of generosity. When you truly see what God wants for you. I'll, I'll say this as your pastor. I teach this not because he wants something from you, but we want something for you. How many of you know God created the earth before you ever gave a dollar? Come on, somebody. God does not need us. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And the ways of this culture is not working. The ways of this culture lead to stress and anxiety and fear. But God wants you to walk in peace and blessing. So we trust him as our source. We steward what we have so that we can be generous. Can I give you three characteristics that should define your generosity? This is important. Our giving should be, number one, scriptural. So we don't give based upon our feeling. We don't give based upon pressure. We don't give based upon cultural pressure, right? We don't give because we saw a moving video and, you know, we're moved to... No, we give scripture. What's the Bible say about how I should give my money? Number two is strategic. Paul says each person should decide. So you pre-decide how you should give. Let me tell you how this plays for, for the Burroughs household. Is that we, we put our giving into our budget. So we have a budget. It's the first line item. We give to God before we pay our mortgage. Here's why. I'm not saying this to be your conviction. This is our conviction. Because we believe that God is our source, not our mortgage lender. So we give to God first. And then we give to everything else that's in our life. We trust God. And then lastly, spirit-led. So scriptural, based in Bible. I'm going to give you Bible today on what it's about giving. Strategic, I'm not doing it sporadically or emotionally. I'm intentional. I'm prayerful. I'm intentional about how I'm going to give. And then spirit-led. I'm asking God. I'm seeking God. How would you have for me to give? All right, let me give you three levels of Biblical generosity, I'm going to speak to different people in the room. Number one, I want to speak to those of you that maybe you're here in the room and you either have, maybe you've never given before or maybe you've, you've given sporadically here and there. And I, I have been where you are. When I first came to Christ, I would sort of wait to the end of the month and depending on what I had left in the account, sort of, you know, after I spent money, I'd kind of give here and there. Now I want to challenge you to become a percentage-based giver. Let me give you a scripture, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Paul says this, that on the first day of the week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. A portion, a percentage. This isn't new to us, right? You give a portion of your income every month to your landlord. Come on, somebody. Uh, you give a portion of your, it's a small portion, but you give a portion every month to Netflix or Hulu or Disney+. Plus. Come on. And those jokers make sure it's recurring. Come on, somebody. <laughs> they don't give it up to chance. Okay. 
can I pass you for a moment? And this is my conviction. If you have your, your, your rent or your mortgage on recurring and Netflix on recurring, why wouldn't you put your giving to God on recurring? Because here's why. I pre-decided my heart to be obedient. I'm not going to ever give it a chance. I don't, I've already pre-decided I'm going to pay my mortgage because I like a house. Come on, somebody. Hey, I pre-decided I'm going to give to God. It's just a challenge. But pre-decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set aside a portion of my income. If you've never given to God, maybe it's 3%. 5%, I'm going to give a portion, as Paul said, hey, to the mission of Jesus, to my local church. Paul was collecting for the church at Corinth. He says, hey, when I show up on the first day of the week, on Sunday, I want you to set aside a portion of your income to give so we can forward the mission of the church. Here's number two. It's tithing. Tithing. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithe into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you will not have room enough to take it. Try it, put me to the test. So tithing, we believe biblically is the baseline. But I know 10% can be a big jump from nothing to 10%. But the tithe, let me speak to the tithe, because some people might say, say, hey, pastor, that's Old Testament, and we're a New Testament church. It is in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus in the gospel says not to neglect the tithe. In fact, if you look at the New Testament standard of generosity, it was extravagant giving. Early, early historical analysis of the early church in Acts more than likely gave, on, on average, 20% of their income to the church. The tithe was so built into Jewish culture and early Christian culture, it wasn't needed to be, to be even talked about. The, the New Testament narrative is extravagant giving. Uh, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 9? Give on every occasion. That's more than tithe. So that the New Testament, if you want to be New Testament, New Testament was extravagant generosity. Or maybe you're thinking, Pastor, that was the Mosaic law, if you know your Bible. That was Old Testament law. And Jesus fulfilled the law. And you are right on both of those. But the tithe was pre-law, meaning it was, set by God. it was set by God before the law. It was built into the law. And then it became a New Testament church practice. Let me share you, give you context. If you're a follower of Jesus, you do not have to pray to get, like, acceptance from God. Everyone say, thank you, Jesus. Should you pray? I think you should. Are you following me? You don't have to read your Bible. Should you read your Bible? You should read your Bible if you want to experience all that God has for you. You don't have to tithe. Should you tithe? I believe you should to experience all that God has for you. So again, it's not this like I have to. It's I get to pray. I get to read my Bible. I get to bring my tithe to God. Then maybe some of you are sitting there saying to yourself, Pastor, 10% is a lot of money. Which I would say, you are absolutely right. Doesn't matter how much money you make, 10% is a lot of money. Let me share my story. When I came to faith in Christ, um, I was giving sort of like at the end of the month, like I told you. I had a good friend of mine one time. We were both raising money for a missions trip we were going on. $3,700 what we were raising money for. And while raising money for that missions trip, um, they were at my house, and they said, hey, what? You know, basically they challenged me to tithe. They said, hey, it's, it's the one area in Scripture God says to test him in. And I, I trusted my friend, and I 
trusted, you know, my pastor who was teaching on it. He taught on it, but then I trusted my friend. So I said, okay, I'm going to, I'll give it a try. So I started to tithe. And at first I was justifying my lack of obedience to the tithe by giving to the mission trip. So I started tithing, which means I could give less to my mission trip. True story. Not only did I raise enough money outside of myself for the missions trip, I also raised enough to pay for the half of somebody else's mission trip. Here's the principle. I trusted God, and God provided for my needs. And I'm telling you, if you haven't trusted God, just try, test him in it. That's what he says. Test me in this. And let me say this. The tithe, what the tithe does, he says, it provides food in my house. So if you've been if you've been blessed by the by the by this church, I'm gonna be honest with you. If you've been blessed by this church, your kids have been blessed by this church, it is in large part to those who faithfully and consistently tithe. Because they've enabled there to be food in this house, provision in this house. If you're a tither, thank you. You're enabling this church to do ministry because the tithe provides for the operations of the church. Here's the last and final stage of giving. So there's Percentage-based, there's tithing, and then there's sacrificial giving. This is where God ultimately wants all of us to be in our life. 2 Samuel 24, 24. David says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. David goes on, it's actually historical record, gave the largest offering to build the temple. A costly offering. You know, we see in the scriptures, the difference between the kingdom of God and the world system is the world system teaches us that we, we are successful by how much we get. Our salary, our position, our house, our car, whatever it might be. But in the kingdom of heaven, success is measured by how much we give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So our first year we moved to D.C. Again, we moved here to be a part of a church and we were volunteering for this church. I'd gotten a job as a psychologist. Christine was working for a, a business. And they did a year-end offering similar to what we're doing. And um, they said, hey, same thing. Pray and ask God. Just pray and ask God. So something that Christine and I do, and I would encourage you to do if you're married, is, is any big decision we make, which includes our giving, um, these above and beyond offerings, we, we, we pray and ask God separately, and then we come together. And for us, we always take whoever has the higher number. And here's why. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So we came together, and Christina had a higher number than I had. And I said, I'm not, I don't know about that. I'm not ready for that yet. Um, I was still paying off a lot of debt. I still had a lot of debt left. We were already tithing, so I was like, we're already tithing. Like, that, that would have been our biggest gift we've ever given to a church, to anything. About a week passes, and, I, and as I prayed about it, I knew it was the Lord. Um, so we, we came back, and we agreed, and we gave the offering mid-November. The end of the year, last week or two of the year, her organization had her, their business or their, their, um, their valuations. This is her first year working for this business. So we didn't know what to expect. So they give her a valuation. She got great reviews. And then they gave her a year-end bonus. This is no exaggeration. Her year-end bonus paid off all of our debt completely in one shot. 
Why do I share that? Because in my own strength and my own reasoning, I was like, I can't give because I'm trying to pay off debt. And God said, son, would you trust me? Boom. Debt gone. And what would have taken me nine months in my best ability took God a moment because we trusted him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And when we trust God as our source and we steward what we have and we give generously, that's scriptural and spirit-led, God will supply all of our needs according to his riches. You believe it, church? Let's pray.